Mark chapter 11. As they, that is the Jesus and his disciples, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, so many, many of you know, um, and, and some of you do not know, but uh, a friend of mine and a pastor in our denomination of the, the church in Tualatin, he preached in this church once before. He went to be with the Lord uh, about 13 days ago, uh, just at the age of 43. And to me, it was very sudden, even though he had been you know, battling cancer, but we had talked a couple of weeks before, and he was feeling better, and some of the, um, the chemotherapy regime that he was on had been, had been lessened, and we had a wonderful conversation, which ended up being our last conversation, but it was very forward-looking, and we were talking about doing a pulpit exchange. I wanted him to come and preach to you guys just about everything God was teaching him through his cancer journey, and I was going to share uh, at his church and um, in God's, you know, in God's plan, the, that, was, that was not to be. But when you, when you lose someone, when you lose a friend or family member, um, especially what feels like um, suddenly, you start to chew on the conversations, right? You start to think about um, certain things. Or could I have done things differently? Could I have um, reached out sooner? Could I have supported the, the family in a different way? And you know, reflecting, reflecting on your conversations with, with people who are no longer with us, it's, it's natural. And sometimes you start to um, bring the, the pieces together. And there's things that you can only understand um, sort of later. We have this expression, you know, hindsight is 2020. There's things that you can only see when you're reflecting on your life. And then you look back and it all sort of makes sense. Well, I wonder if Jesus' disciples were feeling something like that on the first Holy Week. You know, they, they, were, they were thinking as Jesus came on this donkey, sort of this procession, and people are cheering for him and shouting, you know, Hosanna, they're, they're worshiping him. They're saying, this is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the one that comes from the line of David. And yet, 
Why wasn't Jesus more excited? You know, why wasn't he celebrating? Why wasn't he sort of waving like a president, you know, coming in? I think they would have looked at Jesus and seen that there was something sad in his eyes. That maybe Jesus was looking forward to the week that he knew was ahead of him in some sense. Thinking about the betrayal of his friends. Thinking about how they would abandon him. Thinking about how he would be um, tried and convicted and crucified. Thinking about his conversation in the Garden of Gethsemane with his father. I wonder if they would have looked into Jesus' eyes, if they would have seen something a little different. How often have unmet expectations let us down? Where we think something is going to go a certain way, we have a picture in our mind of how it's going to go. And in Jesus and on Palm Sunday, we have the ultimate version of that. You know, the Palm Sunday story, it begs this question of us. What kind of king are you expecting? What are your expectations for Jesus? What do you think it would mean to make him the king of your life? How would that affect your life? How would that change the way that you live and the way that you relate to other people? What kind of king are you expecting in Jesus. So this morning I, wanna, I want to pursue that idea by asking three questions. First, we're going to ask, is Jesus the king? Is he the king? And we're going to see in this text how, how Jesus fulfills all the prophecy uh, and how he comes to, to be the true king, the one unique king over creation. Second, what kind of king? What kind of king is Jesus? And we're going to look at, at that. What does the Bible teach us about, about Jesus the king? And third, what should our response be? If Jesus is this kind of king, then how does that change our lives? Is he the king? What kind of king? And what is our response? So first, Is Jesus the king? Is Jesus the king? Is he the Messiah? Is he the anointed one? Is he God? All of these questions, they are the most important questions that we can ask. They're the questions that determine our eternal destiny. They are the questions that determine how we live in this life and what our identity is and what our motivation is for, for living and for loving and for relating to people. It, it feels to me that people are more open in this season. Everything that we have gone through the last year as a culture, all the disruption, all the challenges, all the conversations about important matters, um, not only you know, facing COVID as a culture and trying to limit that spread, but conversations about race and justice People are looking for deeper meaning and purpose. They're looking for community. And I think above all, they're looking for hope. And I know that 
I have found my hope in Jesus, my ultimate hope. And that's true for many of you as well. And I, and I know that, that the ultimate reason for my ultimate hope is the resurrection of Jesus. So I, I hope and pray that, you know, whatever next weekend looks like for you, if you, if you uh, want to gather with us at one service at 11 o'clock or you want to have something in your home and invite friends and uh, whatever that looks like for you, but that, uh, that the Holy Spirit will draw people to Jesus through, through that, in this, this hunger that God's creating. Mark knows that people are asking that question. What, you know, is Jesus the king? And so he connects all the dots of these prophecies. In Zechariah 14, you know, 800, a thousand years before Jesus, before any of this happened, it said, on that day, his feet, the feet of the king, will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. There was a word that was spoken through a true prophet Zechariah, saying that the, the Messiah, the king, will stand in that exact spot. And so Jesus takes his place, and he's making the claim, I am the one. I'm the one that you've been expecting. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. And in Mark, uh, in, in the passage we looked at this morning, it's a quotation of Psalm 118. You know, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. All those people that lined the road they were shouting that to Jesus. They were saying, he's the one. He's, he comes in the name of Yahweh. He's from the, the Davidic line. He's from Bethlehem. And it's the fulfillment of this prophecy that they had passed down from generation to generation. Fathers and mothers telling their sons and daughters, when our king comes, this is what he will do. And yet, many of them were expecting a different kind of king. And Mark, by quoting Psalm 118, he draws it together. Because just four verses earlier, in Psalm 118, verse 22, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So right there, it's this little clue that the king wasn't going to be universally accepted. The king wasn't going to be hoisted up on his throne right then and there and ruling over Israel and all the Roman world, but that he would be rejected. Despised and rejected, Isaiah tells us. And that, that, that stone that was rejected, it would become the cornerstone of another house, of another house, and this house wasn't just Israel, but it was a house where every believer in Jesus from every tongue and tribe and nation would be invited to come and be part of the kingdom. And it's interesting how Psalm 118 ties that together, and Mark mentions it here. Jesus knew that people were talking about him and wondering, is this the one? Is this the Messiah? the anointed one, the king that we've been looking for. You know, a couple chapters earlier in Mark, he said to his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? That was Jesus' favorite title for himself. And the disciples said, well, some say John the Baptist, 
Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asks his disciples a very direct question. He says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Messiah. The word that he uses, I keep repeating all these, you know, Messiah, anointed one, king. They're all the same word. They all mean the same thing. The anointed one that they had been waiting for. And next week, next week on Easter, we're going to look at the ultimate evidence for, you know, everything that Jesus said. The resurrection. Because if Jesus was raised from the dead, if Jesus has the power to overcome the final enemy, death, then he must be the king. He must be God. I had the opportunity, and I know um, several other families did too this week with it being spring break, I had the opportunity to go to the Oregon coast for a couple days. And I spent time each morning walking along the coastline just looking out over the cliffs and seeing the, the power of, you know, march on the Oregon coast. I mean, it could be raining, it could be pouring, big waves, little waves, sunny, cloudy, whatever it can be. But as I was walking along, I was just thinking about how God created all this. All this beauty. I mean, more than we could ever comprehend. There's, there's a saying um, in Hebrew, you know, that would be enough. It would have been enough if he had made the ocean kind of pretty. But he gave us all this useless beauty, all this extravagant beauty. And I, th and I thought to myself as I was walking that path, that was Jesus. That was King Jesus that was there crafting those mountains and that coastline and that beauty. He's the one. And each one of us has to wrestle with that question. Who do you say that I am? And the authority of a king. Jesus' call upon our lives. Is Jesus the king? Yes. He's the king. He's God. He is who he said he was. Secondly, what kind of king is Jesus? I'm going um, to you know, do the pastor thing right here. I made an alliteration, so you can always remember this. What kind of king is Jesus? He's a surprising king, and he's a sacrificing king. A surprising king and a sacrificing king. He's a surprising king because his definition of kingship and leadership is so much different than anything else at that time or even today, you know, with kings and queens of foreign nations, or even with our political leaders today, their definition 2,000 years ago of power, of kingship, of leadership, you know, it was Rome. It was stallions. It was armies, deadly armies. It was the threat, the threat of the sword, the threat of being crucified, the threat, it was raw power and fear that they held people down. So Jesus, and he even says this 
on Thursday night, right? Jesus could have summoned a thousand angels. He could have summoned all the power of the ancient world to come in and rule and destroy and, and dominate people. But what does he do on Palm Sunday? He asks two of his disciples to untie a colt, <laughs> a little colt from a tree, from a door, outside of a little village. And, you know, a lot of the commentators uh, talk about, you know, why is, it, why is it told this little, it's almost like a party trick. If you were Jesus and you were about to defeat death and you can do any miracle you want, and then, you, you know, you kind of do a little party trick with the disciples and say, well, you know, just give them this line and, and that'll work. And he does. But they get this little colt. And Jesus, you know, kind of rides on their side saddle on, a, on, on, this, on this colt. And instead of, instead of dominating people, instead of threatening people with murder, instead of killing people with the sword, Jesus comes and says, a real king, a real leader, washes feet. Washes feet. Lily and I washed each other's feet at our wedding. People thought we were weird. People didn't understand it. One person even got mad about it. I don't know why you get mad about that. But good preparation for being a pastor. You get lots of strange emails. But we washed one another's feet, and that has served me well to remember that. That marriage is about serving one another, laying down your life, being like Jesus. Jesus who is gentle and humble of heart. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. It's a song that, we, that I grew up singing that a lot of us love to sing. But it's that humility of Jesus that's so attractive. Because Jesus, the one person who actually did know everything, the one person with all the power, he's humble. And he doesn't barge his way in. We've... What kind of king is, is Jesus? He's a surprising king. You know, I think we've all, been, we've all been in situations over the past year or earlier in our life where we thought we knew what we wanted. We thought we knew what was best for us. And it didn't go that way. The surprising king is writing a better story than any of us could ever write. We think we know what's best. We think, we think that we can be the king. And every morning there's this invitation to say, walk in grace. Surrender to me. Put down your crown. Take your hands off the driving, the steering wheel, whatever metaphor you want to use. Jesus is saying, you're part of my kingdom. You're, you're my subject, and yet there is so much freedom in that to surrender to King Jesus and why would we want to do that why you know how can we find this freedom because Jesus is not only a surprising king but he's a sacrificing king 
And, you know, we see that in Good Friday. It, it is, it is uh, it's a shame that we will not be able to gather in person on, on Friday. But I, I commend you, if I can speak into your life, to take time on Friday to worship at home by yourself, with your family. We're going to be sending things out because Good Friday is one of the most important days of the Christian year. To remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. To remember the darkness that he defeated. And it brings so much more meaning to Easter to see the depths to which Christ brought what other, what other king would sacrifice in that way? What other king would leave the glory of heaven, perfect relationship with God the Father, and would, would come to earth in the form of a little baby to be born in poverty? And I know, I know it's, it's not Christmas, it's Palm Sunday. But Jesus left his father's side and came down to earth in order to, to live the perfect life that we could never live, and in order to go to the cross for us, to take our sin upon himself. What other king would do that? He must be the king of kings, because no king sacrifices themselves like that. But he's the ultimate king. He's what God is like. Is he the king? Yes. What kind of king is he? He's a surprising king, and he's a sacrificing king. And so finally, finally, friends, what does that mean for us? You know, what is our response to, to a king like this? We, we can either accept or reject his kingship. We can either live into our identity as citizens of the kingdom or not. And what I find interesting is that in this story, 2,000 years ago, there was three different crowds with three different responses to Jesus. And the same is true today. In this room, in this neighborhood, in this city. First, there's the religious people or the, you know, the overly religious people, the, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the people who had God painted into a corner. I mean, they knew what the king was going to be like, and Jesus did not fit their expectations. Again, unmet expectations. And they had the audacity to not just think or to know in their own minds, well, this isn't the king, but to say to the disciples, or to say to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them you're not the king. Tell them you're not the Messiah. And Jesus said, it's, it's recorded in Matthew and Luke, if the stones, if they didn't cry out, the stones would cry out. Even creation is shouting that Jesus is the king. Overly religious people, they make the Bible a rule book. They just make it a list of do's and don'ts instead of this story that's introducing people to a king and what the kingdom's going to look like. And they're forgetting that, that gratitude and life change and wisdom and transformation, that comes after grace. 
You know, that comes after guilt, grace, and gratitude. I'm reading a book about uh, Eugene Peterson who uh, you know, translated the message. and he, he was raised in a Pentecostal family in Montana. His mom was a Pentecostal preacher. And when he was seven years old, his mom took away the Christmas tree. She said, we're not doing that this year because she was sort of misinterpreting a, a line from Jeremiah. And she was making it a list of rules and do's and don'ts. And she crushed little Eugene's seven-year-old spirit with no Christmas tree that year because she was being overly religious. She thought God would love her more if they didn't have a Christmas tree. And then the thing that really made him mad was the next year the Christmas tree was back. Didn't make any sense. He had to relearn how to interpret the Bible as this grand story, this grand narrative about a king, not just a list of do's and don'ts. The second group of people that were responding to Jesus was the pilgrims. There was pilgrims, there was people on the spiritual journey, and thousands of them had come to Jerusalem for the holidays. And they were wondering, and they were searching, and some of them were probably there shouting Hosanna, saying, this is the one. And yet, where were they five days later? Did they shout, crucify him? And there are many people today, some of us in this room, some of us listening at home, all over Portland, all over our culture, who are on a spiritual journey, who are wondering, what can I base my life on? Who should I serve? Should I serve my own needs? Should I serve myself? Should I serve my intellect? Or is there something more? And the challenge of Jesus' kingship, you know, just as Jesus said to those then, I'm the king, he says that now. He says that every journey, every pilgrimage has a destination. And that there is such a thing as a home. There is such a thing as, as a place where we can find peace, where we can find what we were made for. And Jesus isn't just another teacher. He, just, he isn't just a nice way to live, but he's the king. C.S. Lewis said that when we encounter Jesus, there are only three responses. He, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. And C.S. Lewis came to conclude that Jesus is the Lord, that he's the king. And I've come to that conclusion also. And I hope that you have. Who do you say that I am? Where is, where is your life heading? Are you the king or is Jesus the king? The more that I submit to Jesus' kingship and his reign the more joy that I have through my circumstances. Not shallow happiness, but a joy and a trust in Jesus. The third group is the disciples. And they were, you know, they were ready for the victory parade. They were feeling pretty good. Just one chapter earlier, they were arguing about, well, when King Jesus comes in and when he takes command of everything, 
I get to be the vice president and I'm going to be the secretary of state and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You guys are missing the whole point. You've got to become like children. You've got to have faith in your father because this is going to be different than what you think. And, and they were. They were transformed. The disciples eventually were transformed. Yes, they, they ran away. They betrayed him. They got scared on Thursday night. But when Jesus rose from the dead, and when they saw him face to face, when Thomas touched his hands and touched his side, he, were tra he was transformed. And they were all transformed. And that's what's turned the world upside down for 2,000 years. Is that they were willing to say, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the anointed one. And we're willing to die for that. And that turned the early church upside down. And Jesus has transformed millions and billions of lives since then as King Jesus. What kind of response does his kingship demand? It's just that daily surrender, that daily thankfulness, that, that Jesus, King Jesus, by his grace, has opened our eyes, has invited us to live not in the kingdom where I am king, not in the kingdom of this world pursuing those things, but in his kingdom. His kingdom of peace and joy and love. His kingdom that will have no end. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today we thank you for the gift of your word. This story that maybe we're encountering for the first time or maybe we've heard it every year of our lives, this Palm Sunday story. But Lord, we pray that you will work, work it through in our hearts like yeast into a loaf of bread and that you'll help us to wrestle with what this means, what it would really mean to make you the king, not just of one part of our lives, not just one Sunday a month, but to make you king over everything, that we would surrender to you, that we would know that everything that we have belongs to you. Our very lives, our time, our gifts that you've given us, that all of them could be used to expand your kingdom so that when you come back and every eye sees you as king, that you will welcome all of your children home. Show us what that means to live in that hope, Lord, and to make you our king. We ask this all in the name of Jesus the King. Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's continue in worship. We're going to sing this Palm Sunday hymn.
Hosanna, loud Hosanna, and then we get to come to the Lord's table this morning. It's number 145 and lift up your hearts. Hosanna, loud Hosanna. Let's stand and worship together.